Praise the Lord, my Lord, the mightiest, mightiest prophets of the Lord. Well, uh, blessed people, the Lord bless you very much. I am indeed very privileged to come to you at this time. Uh, I know that the Lord is speaking now about purification in the church, and uh, there is a revival of purification going on in the house of the Lord, and that is what I wanted to talk about this evening, a revival of purification that is happening in the church at this hour. And you see now the youth church has come in with full force and that means the whole house is now aboard in the purification of the Lord, the revival and the renewal of the church. Now, this revival is one of a kind. It has not been seen before. And that's why this is a very important revival, because this is the revival that prepares the glorious way for the glorious coming of the Messiah. Now, again... The Lord has spoken very clearly about the day of the coming of the Messiah. And that day, he has come out to define the events. If you read the Bible, you see that the Lord defined the events of that day. The day of the glorious coming of the Messiah. And he has spoken with me very many times now. And it has been the centerpiece of every conversation that heaven is having with the church. And one note, a written note, Melchizedek's day is known as the day of light. The Lord writes that note, and that one note he places right in front of me, and I see the two prophets of the Lord receive the note. The hand of God brings very close the note, his right hand, close to their face, they read this note on a white, glorious piece of paper. Melchizedek's day is known as the day of light. And so I want to talk a little bit on this conversation tonight, that even as uh, you prepare on this other side of the Atlantic, you prepare to rest for the day, you may understand what the Lord is instructing at this hour. And uh, on the other side of the Atlantic, they're still in the daytime, so they can still take complete advantage of this also. Now, Melchizedek's day is known as the day of light, and uh, this is a very important instruction, because in there you see a lot of message, the messaging the Lord is giving the church, he is calling the day of rapture Melchizedek's day, Right away, you see that the Lord is connecting the pre-incarnate Christ, Melchizedek, that visits Abraham, and he connects him directly to Christ Jesus, the Messiah that is coming. And uh, the other benchmark that he makes there, the other very important standard he raises there, is that the day of the coming of the Messiah, he calls it the day of light. And then another peace that you can pull out of there is that the Lord chooses to call Christ Jesus Melchizedek. So you see, he's calling him from the original place, the original glory, and the original position he had with him before the mission. And you know too well that Melchizedek came to consecrate the lineage through which the Christ would come and go to the cross 
And so there is so much information just from that piece of paper, that divine piece of paper that God the Father himself wrote in his handwriting, capital letters, and then brought it close to me and made me read it and closer again. Melchizedek's day is known as the day of light. And also the other information he picked from there is that he is now benchmarking that day as the day of light, meaning those that will partake of that day, that concealed day, that secret day that is concealed, that day that has become a trap, a concealed, and then a hidden day whose day and hour is not known. He now calls it the day of light, and he gives you, he gives out, the Lord gives out the secret, he says, only those that walk in light, in the light, will be able to partake of that day. So there is so much information that the Lord gives from that title when he communicates with his two mega prophets, his two most dreadful prophets, the one upon whom the cloud of God the Father himself, he has now settled on them, tabernacled on them. Now, I want to go stepwise and begin to walk with you on this very important conversation tonight, and I'll try to summarize it because I know on this other side of the Atlantic, time is gone. It's about, it's more than 10 o'clock. It's 10.30, 10.28. And uh, now, the light of God, this becomes the most important message then that the church needs to take from this, uh, this, this conversation, this visitation, this instructioning that heaven is relaying to the church. And you see, he's saying Melchizedek's day is known as the day of light. So the light he's talking about is what we want to explore tonight, the light of God. Now, when you read your Bibles in the book of First Chronicles, chapter 28, you see that in First Chronicles, chapter 28, the Lord God does choose a generation. He chooses a generation, and he chooses the generation of Solomon, King Solomon. And we know so well that the generation of his father David really, really, really wanted to build the tabernacle of worship. In other words, the place, the dwelling, the house of the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And we know very well that the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord became the centerpiece of the worship that mankind had with the Lord, that Israel had with the Lord. And that's why I want to talk a little bit about this so that you may understand the messaging happening on that note, Melchizedek's day is known as the day of light. Now, when the Lord was instructing and choosing the generation of King Solomon to build forth his tabernacle of worship. He was essentially saying that he has elected that generation compared to the generation of his father, King David. And you see very clearly that David, upon realizing that the Lord did not allow him to set forth the tabernacle, the house, and the dwelling of the ark, the dwelling of the cloud of God, the light of God, we're going to see 
the cloud of God. So God the Father, making him aware that he has not chosen him, then David, the plan that the Lord had given him, he transmits it to the generation of his son, King Solomon. And if you read the book of First Chronicles, chapter 28, beginning verse 9, he says the following, And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the Lord your God, the God of your father, and serve him wholeheartedly with a wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind for the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. If you seek him But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Verse 10 he says, Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a temple as a sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Then down there he says, Then David gave him the plan the plans that the Lord had downloaded to him. So you see, this is a very important point in time when now Israel is to set up the dwelling place of the tabernacle, the dwelling place that is called the sanctuary, the dwelling place that would contain the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And this was an election by God that this generation would be the generation to establish for him the tabernacle, uh, the temple in which the ark of the covenant of the Lord would dwell. In other words, the resting place. After going through places, now the ark of the covenant would rest there. In other words, the footstool of God, because the Bible says that heaven is my throne, says the Lord, and the earth my footstool. So the place where the cloud of God would come and settle. And so that election and the appointment of the generation of Solomon, that selection and choosing, the choice of God, that that is the generation that would build for him the place where the ark of the covenant would come and the cloud would visit the mercy seat. And then, of course, worship. That was essentially establishing worship. Establishing the house of worship, establishing the, the, the divine worship the Lord was longing for, finally, as a grand finale, after the long journey of the ark of the covenant of the Lord. So that was an, an election, a selection, a choice, an appointment by the Lord over the life of that generation. And I see that in this generation too, the Lord has selected a generation. He has appointed a generation. He has chosen a generation 
and that generation he has chosen, he has also levied a responsibility on them to establish the worshipping of the cloud, the worshipping of Jehovah, the worshipping of the Lord. In other words, to build him a sanctuary, and then he would visit that generation. So Solomon, <clears throat> charged with this duty, received the plan to build the tabernacle. But if you look at the plan, again, we are focused on this tremendous visitation of the Lord. When God the Father visited with me, God the Father, the one you want to come before him in heaven, all of you tuned in globally, you want when it's all said and done to be able to go into his heaven and to meet him face to face and commune with him and fellowship with him. That is the one that I'm talking about. The God of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the creator of all the earth and all the heavens and all the universe and all the mankind and human and everything and therein, the fullness of the earth thereof. God the Father, he comes and he writes a note, Melchizedek's day is known as the day of light. And for us to be even discussing this note, a handwritten note, is such a privilege, blessed people. Because you see that the Lord is now talking more directly to the church. It's not concealed anymore. He's having a direct conversation, including writing to that generation, writing to that church, writing a message, a note, and making the two prophets read, the prophets of the Lord read and transmit to you. So the direct transmission of the message, nothing lost in the way, and then also allowing us to open this message right before you. So Melchizedek's day is known as the day of light. We are going to see in a moment the generation of the light. Again, you see the Lord encouraging the generation, encouraging the present day church with this note, through this note. Melchizedek's day is known as the day of light. In other words, they're encouraging you, exhorting you as a people, as a generation, as a church, that you may behold the light that we're going to see very briefly. And I think the most important notice and note out of that message is the light. The light that defines that day. That only those in that benchmarking of God, only those that will behold the light will be able to partake of that secret day. But after seeing how now David transmits the plan to his son Solomon, he transmits it, he transmits it faithfully as given him by the Lord. And then now, in the building of that temple, inside the temple, 
the light of God was provided for. The light of God was availed inside the temple to provide light in the sanctuary of God, the sanctuary of worship. So in the book of uh, Exodus 25, verse 31, blessed people, this is what he says. This is how the Lord set out to provide light for the worship that would take place in that temple. And out of that, I will now bring the message to this generation. Exodus 25, verse 31, only says, Make a lampstand of pure gold and hammer it out. Base and shaft its flower-like cups, birds, and blossoms shall be of one piece with it. In other words, he's saying, take one whole lump from gold and hammer out. And you must understand that all the other articles of worship were made out of gold, but not from one piece. Only the lamp stand now. This lamp stand, the command of Yahweh was that this lamp stand be hammered out of one piece, one lump of gold. So that is a big contrast. That's a huge piece of gold, owing to the significance of the lampstand, that now I'm coming to, that provided the light inside the tabernacle of worship. He says, I repeat, make a lampstand, the book of Exodus, Mark, Exodus 25, from verse 31. We are marking Exodus 25, from verse 31, he says, the lampstand, he says, Make a lampstand of pure gold and hammer it out, base and shaft. Its flower-like cups, birds, and blossoms, blossoms shall be of one piece with it. Meaning everything must be molded on one piece, one mold of gold, one piece of gold. Verse 32 says, Six branches are to extend from the side of the lampstand, three on one side and three on the other. Verse 33 of Exodus 25, he says, three cups shaped, three cups shaped like almond flowers with birds and blossoms are to be on one branch, three on the next branch, and the same for all six branches extend Extending from the lampstand. Verse 34 he says, And on the lampstand there are to be four cups shaped like almond flowers with birds and blossoms. Verse 35. One bird shall be under the first pair of branches extending from the lampstand a second bird under the second pair, and a third bird under the third pair, six branches in all, in that pattern, of course. Verse 36, the birds and branches shall all be of one piece, having come from the same mold, of course, 
with the lampstand and hammered out of pure gold, meaning one piece mold, one big piece mold of gold, and they hammer out, the purpose was to hammer out everything from that. Verse 37, make you seven lamps and set them up. Again, make you seven lamps, set them up, and set them up on it so that they may light the space in front of it. Meaning to provide the light in the tabernacle. Its wick trimmers and trays are to be of pure gold. It says a talent of pure gold is to be used for the lampstands and all these accessories. See that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Now, I want to share this, blessed people. When the Lord brought me inside the temple of God, inside heaven, if you look at the website of the radio, Jesus is Lord Radio, dot info, you see there one of the major visions when the Lord took me to heaven and for 32 nights, 32 consecutive days and nights, the Lord walked me inside the tabernacle of God inside heaven and he walked with me, there are certain areas where here there shall be only worship. And then another side says here there will be no worship. He has very specific detail with each of the chambers. Even the lamps. And everything. The Lord walked me into his temple, that temple that you see, including the dome. The dome of the temple and finer detail. 32 consecutive nights and showed me all the details and everything in the patterning and the ordering of God. And that is for another conversation. But here he says, see that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. So God comes out to be very specific. God was very specific in the building of the lampstands that provide light, that provide light inside the sanctuary of worship. And I think that is where the message is for you tonight. Melchizedek's day is known as the day of light. And the Lord chooses gold. It's amazing that the Lord chooses gold Specifically, he chooses gold for making the lampstand that behold the light of God. He chooses gold. It's a deliberate choice. He chooses gold and he speaks about the design. The design of the almond, the almond tree. If you turn to the book of Psalm 119, verse 127, he says the following, Because I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold. So the Lord has spoken in Bible about gold. Gold was the purest, the most expensive metal at that time. Again, the choice was very, very deliberate. 
God chooses gold because gold was the most valuable metal at that time, most expensive metal, most valuable metal at that time. He chooses gold for the making and one lap. He talks about one lap of gold for the making of the lap stand. The lap stand that will provide the light. The light inside the sanctuary. Melchizedek's day is known as the day of light. And when you read the book of Psalm 19 verse 10, it says this. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. Again, here he's describing the fear of the Lord. And he's talking about that comparison in terms of the most precious, the most precious of items on the earth, that is gold. And so gold was the most precious metal, in other words, the most valuable at that time. And then, the Lord speaks about the new Jerusalem, the book of Revelation chapter 21. The book of Revelation chapter 21, blessed people, I'm reading from verse 10, all the way down to 21, it says the following. Revelation 21, blessed people, 10 to 21, it says, And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east and three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. Verse 17, Revelation 21. He measured its wall, and it was 144 cubits thick by man's measurement, which the angel was using. Verse 18. The wall was made of jasper, and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. The foundation of the city walls 
were decorated with every kind of precious stones. His foundation was jasper, and the second sapphire, and the third chalcedony, and the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth canadian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, and the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyl. And then he goes on to say, each gate was like the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each gate made of a single pearl. The gate, and they say, the great city, the great city had a great street. And he says this about the main street. He says, the great street of the great city was made of pure gold. Again, that great city, the new Jerusalem, has a main street. And he says, the great street, the main street of this is made of pure gold. So you see for yourselves, blessed people, the value the Lord already touched. He attached and consigned. He touched gold with value. He touched gold with treasure. And so, Melchizedek's day is known as the day of light. The Lord himself, in setting up the worship of the cloud in the temple that was being built by Solomon, he designs to them how they are going to set up lampstand. The lampstand would be hammered out of pure gold, one big mold of gold, and you see, he does so well attaching value to gold. That gold was the most valuable metal, the most precious metal. Now behold the light, the light in the temple at the time of worship. And the Lord speaks very clearly about the lamps, the lamps that would light, and by design and very specific. So when the Lord comes out, he also says they should be designed like the almond tree. The almond tree, you all know, is the tree that bears the first fruit immediately after the winter. The almond tree. After the winter in Israel, around January, February, it is the almond tree that shoots up first and bears fruit. And if you look at the design the Lord has designed here, it says specifically like the almond tree. If you look at the branches that bear the lamps that would light up the house of the Lord during the worshipping of the cloud, the worshipping of Jehovah. Melchizedek's day is known as the day of light, the light that was shining, the light of God that was shining inside the tabernacle of worship, where the cloud descended, and they worshipped the cloud. Where the cloud of God came. And so, many times, you find that those lamps 
within the menorah. In Hebrew, they call it the menorah. That chandelier, if you will, is called menorah. In fact, in Hebrew, they call it menorah. Menorah. And each of them with the lamps on top. And the oil is fed. The oil is fed to be able to soak up the wick. The wick is made out of a cloth. A cloth. And when the wick has been drenched up, then they lit. The, the, the wick was supposed to be lit now to give light inside the tabernacle of worship. Where they would worship the cloud. Worship Jehovah. God has chosen a generation and he wants to come down in the cloud that they may worship him. And this is the worship pattern that the Lord sets up. He chooses this by the hidden counsel within the upper chambers of the treasures of the wisdom of God. He says, this is the pattern of worship that must be established in the tabernacle of worship where the cloud will descend. And when the light is emitted, now you have the ark of the covenant within the Holy of Holies, and then you have the light that is being emitted now by the chandeliers, if you will. They are called menorah in Ivrit. Menorah. The menorah, menorah. But in Ivrit, menorah. And so, sometimes referred to as candlesticks, but these are lampstands. They are presented inside the tabernacle, and they give light. And there is a constant tending, the tending of the lamp. Melchizedek's day is known as the day of light. We are right now looking at the light of God that was lighting in the temple of worship, where the cloud was worshipped. A generation was chosen. And so, in that setup, you see very clearly that that light, by that light, the Lord Jehovah Elohim, he intended that that light that would be emitted by the menorah, by those lampstands, that both sides, wherever they stood, they would now emit that light, that that light would symbolize the light of God Jehovah, that he brings down to mankind, that he had intended to bring to the dark world, to mankind, that it may shine the dark hearts of men, illuminate the darkness that had beheld the hearts of men. In other words, the lampstands represented the light of God that comes down to men through Christ Jesus. Now you know. The symbol that now the menorah with the light in that specific worship order set from heaven and presented to mankind. That is the light that the Lord intended to symbolize the light of Christ that will come and shine his way into the hearts of men, illuminate the hearts of men and navigate their worship. Navigating their worship and leading them. In other words, giving them the leadership of God. Leading mankind to worshiping Jehovah in the right way with their entire lives, mankind. 
until they enter eternity inside heaven. That was the intent. That was the representation, the embodiment. That was the symbolization that was presented in that specific order and pattern by design that God gave on the light of God inside the tabernacle, inside the sanctuary of worship, where the cloud was worshipped. And I see another generation that has been chosen to worship the cloud because the cloud has come and settled on my crown, on the crown of my head. I see a generation that has also been chosen to worship God. The cloud has come to worship the cloud. In other words, to establish the sanctuary of worship. But that worship would have to be the pattern of God. The specific order of Yahweh. And you know too well that the Ark of the Covenant was resident there was present in the house, in the Holy of Holies, and the cloud descended and settled the way he settled on my head. He settled on the Ark of the Covenant inside that house. And the Ark of the Covenant essentially represented the promise. You looked at the Ark of the Covenant and you understood the promise that the Lord has promised to be with his people, to be with us, wherever we went, to be with us, wherever we go. That the Lord Yahweh, through this covenant, this is now the covenanting, that will always be with us, wherever we go through, the ark of the covenant. Aaron's budded rod is inside also, from an almond tree. And he says, the menorah is made from an almond, in that design, from an almond tree design. From the design of the almond tree. And I said, if you look at the winter when everything goes away, shedding of leaves, they go into a form of hibernation, the plants, in Israel. But now, when the spring is about to come, the spring is about to start, the first tree that fruits in the almond tree, and all this was set by design. The Lord was very deliberate in setting his design unto his people. First Corinthians chapter fifteen verse twenty. 1 Corinthians 15, 26. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. Then he talks about the first Adam, the second Adam. So the light of God that Melchizedek's day is known as the light of God. And by design, according to the order of worship, he says, you shall build forth the menorah, the lampstand, the candlesticks, in the order of the design of the almond tree. And then now, we see that the almond tree is normally the first fruiting. 
Declare the truth first. It is the first truth. Immediately the winter is over. And then you see here that Christ, in the book of 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who are fallen, the first fruit from the earth. In the book of Colossians, same thing, first fruit of the earth. You saw from the resurrection, it was the first fruit out. You saw from the rapture, it was the first fruit to go to heaven, now awaiting you people to rapture and go, but the first fruit has already entered heaven. So the menorah, the candlestick, the lampstand, essentially symbolized Christ. And when the Lord says Melchizedek's day is known as the day of light, he essentially meant the light of Christ, the light of the world. I am the light of the world. He meant that there is a standard. There is a standard for rapture. There is a standard for the day of rapture. And in that benchmarking of that notice, the note, Melchizedek's day is known as the day of light. Meaning only those that walk in the light of Christ, behold the light of salvation, will see that day, will behold that day, will partake of that day, will climb the glorious path to go and see God Yahweh. The writer of that note inside heaven. Romans chapter 8, verse 23. So we see now that the lampstand that was providing the light, providing the light in the sanctuary, essentially represented Christ the Messiah, the light of God that God would afford for mankind after the fall to come to illuminate the darkness that is the hearts of men. So that by illuminating that darkness, chase away the darkness, John chapter 1, chase away the darkness, that the darkness may not understand it, and then give leadership on worship, lead mankind on the kind of worship, the order of worship, the pattern of worship of heaven, the worship of light, the worship of those walking in the light. And in so worshipping with all their lives, all their hearts, they may be navigated into the eternal kingdom of God in heaven. Everybody wants to enter heaven. So the candlestick, the, the, the lampstand, the menorah, essentially, the light of Christ, God was bringing to shine into the light of the dark, the fallen man after the fall of Adam. Representing the light that navigates and guides and leads you, the light of the world. John chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me cannot walk in darkness anymore, but walk in the light that is the light of salvation. So what is this that you see all over the world? That the Church of Christ 
is walking in darkness. Obscuridad. Ahorita muchos cristianos, cristianos, muchos cristianos ahorita, ellos caminó en, en obscuridad, en español. And these are most of the Christians are walking in the darkness. There is darkness in the house of the Lord. It is dark. There is darkness in the chambers of the hearts of the Christians. It is dark. Or it has given much obscuridad into the corazones de cristianos y cristianos. Corazones de, 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 uh, de hermanas y hermanos cristianas. Right now, there is darkness in the hearts of the Christians. And yet he says, Melchizedek Day is known as the day of light. He's benchmarking. He's standardizing the day. He's saying without light, without walking in the light, the light of Christ, symbolized by the star in the house of the Lord, but now he has come as Christ. And died for your sins. And brought the light of God into the hearts of men. What is darkness still doing in the hearts of the Christians? Sexual immorality in the hearts. Sexual lust in the hearts of Christians. Perversion, homosexuality, lesbianism, false prophets, false prophecy, false apostles. What is darkness still doing in the hearts of men? This late in the day, in the sanctuary of the Lord, in the congregation of God. What is darkness doing there? And he says the ark of the covenant represents the cross. The cross that is not a symbol, the symbol of God's presence. That whosoever beholds the cross and walks to the cross is assured of God's presence. But what is the church doing? By not embracing the cross. But they not crucified. Their flesh. They are preaching another gospel. They don't like the old rugged cross. Because they know what the cross will do. Will crucify their flesh. Crucify their sin. They don't like the old rugged cross. The dirty cross. They want modernism. Modern, modern. All the time, modern. They want a modern gospel, a modern church, modern Christianity. And yet he's saying here that the cross is a symbol of God's presence with you, wheresoever you go. God's presence with you. Wheresoever you go. This generation, the Lord is calling upon you. In the book of Exodus chapter 27, verse 20, he says, Command the Israelites to bring clear oil or pressed olives for the light so that the lamps may be kept burning. In the tent of the meeting, outside the curtain, that is in front of the testimony, Aaron and his sons are to keep the lamps burning before the Lord from evening till morning. 
this is to be a lasting ordinance among the Israelites from generation to generation, generations to come. So what is darkness doing in the house of the Lord, in the chamber of worship, in the hearts of the Christians? The spiritual sanctuary, the hearts of the believers, what is darkness still doing there? When Christ has piped it off, the symbol of the menorah, the menorah of God, Christ the Messiah, has piped off darkness, and he has brought light. And he's saying that the Holy Spirit, symbolized by the oil here, is the one that keeps that light burning over and over again, from generation to generation, from evening till morning. It doesn't matter whether it's a dark hour in the house, dark hour in the world, but the oil keeps the light burning, that the light of God may shine inside the lives of the Christians, coming from their heart, and that the dark world may see the light of God. And that the dark world may be drawn to the light of God, you saw behold. The Messiah is coming, blessed people. He says, you are the light of the world. Matthew chapter 5, 13 on to 16, he says, you are the light of the world. Matthew chapter 5, 13 on, he says, you are the salt of the earth, but if a salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty anymore? It is no longer good for anything except to be shown, to be thrown down, <laughs> shown, shown the way, to be thrown down, thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light up a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, so that it may give light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, meaning from your heart out, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. This is the church that gets to enter this is the church that fulfills the instruction. Melchizedek's day is known as a day of light. Thank you very much to Darabah. The Messiah is coming. Blessed people, prepare ye the way of the Lord. The Messiah is coming. The first fruit is already in heaven. Now there's a big harvest coming for the church to enter eternity into the kingdom of glory. May the Lord bless you with wisdom that you may repent and turn away from sin and behold the light of God. For he says, Melchizedek's day is known as the day of life. Thank you. Shalom to that.